Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of, but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. everybody hey welcome to the championship vision podcast this is coach kevin Furtado. uh today we are on episode 240 so this is part of our minute hey, it's part of our minnesota series coach so our second uh before we had uh coach patheta uh from minnesota so we're coming right here uh with another great minnesota basketball coach that has a lot of success at Elk River High School. He's the girls basketball coach in Elk River, Minnesota. So we're so glad to have you on the podcast. It's Jeremy DiGiovanni. All That's right. right. <laughs> so Jeremy, thank you again for taking the time out, coming on our podcast. Um, I always like talking to the girls basketball coaches. Uh, I think they're always a little bit smarter than the boys coaches, but I just, we'll leave that alone. <laughs> we won't tell them that. <laughs> So, Jeremy, again, welcome. Hey, before we get on to your topic today, which is really program organization, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got started in the profession and uh, why um, you were such an impactful coach for the girls at Elk River. So kind of share with us. Well, I've been involved in sports my whole life. I was a you know, whatever the season was, if it was fall, it was football. If it was winter, it was basketball. If it was spring, it was baseball. And then summer was kind of everything in between. Uh, but I was wise enough uh, in my high school years to realize I wasn't going to go very far athletically with the, the talent or lack thereof that I had. And so I decided to pursue coaching. Um, I think my first coaching job was helping out with a little league team during the summer uh, while I was in high school, I also helped out with Saturday morning elementary basketball uh, my junior and senior year. I really enjoyed it, and it got me hooked on the idea of coaching. Uh, when I was in college, I was able to 
uh, help out one of my former high school coaches. Um, he had to miss a couple of basketball tournaments. So I was able to uh, take over for him on the girls side. And that's when I, I knew that coaching girls would be something I might be interested in. And then um, I pursued my teaching degree and my coaching licensure um, at St. Cloud State here in Minnesota. Um, and my old high school football and basketball coach actually brought me on as a volunteer coach for football. So I would drive back and forth from St. Cloud to my hometown uh, for three seasons during the fall and, and help out with my high school team. So football is actually where I got my start, but basketball has been the thing that is, has carried me uh, the furthest here so far in my career. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. I, I, I'm assuming you carry some of that football mentality a little bit, uh, but, um, and I know there's a, there's a big difference between coaching boys and girls, and we, we can talk about that later. But you've, you've had a lot of program highlights here, just taking a look at this. I, I was really studying your 217 undefeated season. Um, I love how some of the comments were going like, hey, should we schedule, uh, you know, when is the, you know, do you try to get a loss during that time? Do you, you try to play tough? Comp I mean, I, there's so many mental sides of that because this year we were, we were 25 and 0 going into the elite eight. And some people claim that we didn't play a tough schedule to get us prepared for that game. But Hey, talk a little bit about that 2017 team. Wow. That was uh, definitely the most amazing season I had been a part of in any of my coaching seasons. Um, I had actually taken a one-year hiatus and uh, coached up in Northern Minnesota, about a half hour away from where Jeff Buffetta was. I was an assistant boys coach for one year up there. Um, and then we decided to come back to the Twin Cities. And the coach that I had worked for here as an assistant for three years, he uh, was stepping down and he called me knowing I was coming back to the area. And he said, I think you should apply for the job. Uh, and I did right away because I knew all of the kids. I had followed them during that season that I was up north. I had come down here for a few names. And so I knew that we had a ton of talent. Uh, that group uh, as freshmen, sophomores, and juniors, um, they came within one game of going to the state tournament each of those three years. Um, they just couldn't get past that last hurdle. And so I was inheriting um, all seniors that I knew very well. And they came in to the first summer workout knowing that this was their final shot. And their one goal was to get past that section championship and get to the state tournament and win it. And so they were the most driven group of high school athletes I've ever been around. Um, they made it tremendously easy for me to transition back into our role um, you know for me as a head coach we didn't do a ton of changing of, of x's and o's things um, because it was very similar to what we had done while I was there before and what they had done the year I was gone when they were juniors it was more about really refining and, and polishing up the things they were already good at and it was really the mental part of getting over that hurdle of making that last step to get to the highest level. Um, we played a tough schedule that year. We, you know, I, I remember after five games, we were five and oh, and I, I thought, you know, it, it, it's tough to win 
a ton of basketball games in a row. And so we just kept the approach of one game, one day at a time, and just continue to get 1% better. Um, we got to the point where we were probably middle of the season, 15, 16, and oh, something like that. And we had a, a stretch of bat-to-bat games on a Thursday night and a Friday night against two of our our biggest rivals. One was a conference team that uh, is perennially in contention to go to the state tournament. That was the Thursday game. The Friday game was against our section rival, the team that had knocked us out three years in a row. Uh, and one of the girls uh, asked me on Wednesday at practice, are we going to, to prepare for Thursday and Friday? Uh, and I flat out looked at her and I said, no, our focus is on just tomorrow night when we play Centennial. That's a big enough task. We'll worry about the next game after that. And we went out and won in overtime on the road at Centennial on Thursday. And we never talked after that again about double preparing for games. They really bought into the idea of being just one day, one game, focus on the task at hand. And that really helped us through some of the tough games we had later in the season, we, we had to play a couple of overtime games and a couple of other ones that came down to the, the end in regulation. And I think it was those moments during the regular season that carried us through uh, a difficult uh, section championship game and then three very close games in the state tournament. Yeah, one game at a time, right? That, that goes back to your, you know, kind of that, that 1% kind of in a way, almost that process, right, mentality where they you know, just focus on the next step, focus on really what you're doing now. And I love that, particularly in state tournament time, you can jump ahead, can't you, Jeremy? A little you know, bit. you can. And, and, I, <laughs> and you know this, Kevin, as you've worked with high school kids for a long time, they don't see too far what's right in front of them. Right. You know, it, it's hard for them to see the big picture. So I really want to declutter it and just narrow it down to what you have to focus on today, because that's really the only thing you have control over. You can't fix what happened in the past. You can't control what's going to happen in the future. You can control just what's happening at the present time. Yeah. You can even talk about later on in, in um, our podcast here about, um, you know, you, your, our podcast is about program administration and what are the essentials of that? Um, simplify what, don't you think us coaches, I think we overcomplicate things and I'm as guilty as anybody being simplified in your approach to me is huge, right? Oh, that, that 2017 year definitely uh, proved that to me. Um, I like to do different things defensively, offensively. I mix between motion and sets, but that team was, was so talented they didn't need to do a lot of different things they wanted mm -hmm. to play a half court man and they wanted to run some five out motion mix in a couple sets here and there uh, but they really wanted to be good at those things they were comfortable with it um, and it really served us well in the state championship game uh, in a loud environment where the kids weren't able to hear me or my assistants or the bench and so it got to the point where we just rolled out the ball and let them play. Um, you know, you guys run five out on the floor on, on motion defensively. We know we're playing half court man um, and they were on autopilot. And that's because that's what we had really done all season long. And we just kept it really simple so they could just play. Yeah, that's a great point. And you, of course you win with great players. So 
it looks like you've had a lot of really good players, Dale. Um, and I think overall in your career, you see you have three uh, Gatorade uh, missed basketballs at talk, or, or you've had nom- nominees for that. Talk about some of the great players you have coached there. Well, in, in the history of Elk River going back to the early 2000s, we've had three Miss Basketball finalists, uh, which is the award that goes to the best girls player in the state of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of those were, were way back before I even started coaching. Um, on that 2017 team, uh, I had Gabby Hawk, who is now a senior at Bradley. Um, she was the consensus um, Minnesota Coaches Association Girls Basketball, uh, Miss Basketball Player of the Year. She was the Star Tribune Player of the Year. Uh, Gatorade named her the State Player of the Year. So she got tons of accolades. We had um, all five of our starters could have been all conference. Uh, the thing I think that was most unique about that group is all five of our starters ended up going on and playing college basketball. Uh, and three of them were still playing as of this past season. Right. Um, so that, that was a testament to not only their athletic ability, but um, their mental toughness. Um, as you know, playing in college, it's a whole different uh, lifestyle than it is in high school. And those kids persevered through four and five years of, of division one, division two, II, division three basketball. And I'm just so proud of, of the, not only the players they are, but the young ladies they've turned into getting college degrees and ready to enter that next phase in their lives. Coach, if you had five girls all play college, that to me is rare. It Uh, is. And now tell us a little story behind that, because did you see these kids coming up saying, Oh, you know what? They're, they're going to be college players one day. Was that a goal of theirs? Uh, I'm always intrigued by that. Yeah, they, I think we had three of them come up as eighth graders and play on our, our ninth grade team that year. And then three of those same girls as ninth graders were playing a ton of varsity as freshmen. And you could tell from a very early time in their career, they were driven to play college basketball. Mm -hmm. Two of them for sure wanted to play at the division one level. Uh, The other ones just had aspect aspirations of playing beyond high school. They just enjoyed the game that much. Um, one of them ended up getting a scholarship to Bradley. Another one had a scholarship to Denver University and then transferred uh, back home to Concordia St. Paul for her last three years. Uh, and then we had uh, several others that played Division Three at St. Thomas here in, in Minnesota, at Wisconsin Lacrosse, and at Wisconsin River Falls. So they, for the most part, stayed pretty close to home, and it, it made it fun for me and for my staff and our team to be able to go and watch some of their games. Right. Hey, just to help, we have a lot of coaches that listen to this podcast uh, who might have college players. And I know I have one that's going on to Tennessee Chattanooga. Um, that was, that was her goal all along. She was going to play at the next level. She put the work in, right, Pete? I mean, Destiny McClendon put yeah. the work in. She was a worker. Now I don't think she had great talent, but, she outworked everybody. Um, is that the key? Because when girls are different than boys, um, what's the key to keep a girl focused on that goal of getting to the next level? Is it just work ethic? I, I think so. I look at those girls that played on that 2017 team 
and they were the true gym rats. You did not have to tell them when the gym was open. Uh, they were eager and ready to go. And here in Minnesota, we have limited contact time with our players in the off season. Um, so not only were they playing AAU, but they were going to the YMCA to get extra shooting or ball handling in, uh, working in the weight room to get stronger. And a lot of that was done on their own because of the limits that we have here with high school coaches having contact with players in the off season. Um, and I think that was the biggest thing I noticed from the start of their junior year when I left to their senior year when I came back was just how they had changed physically and skill wise. And so much of it was the amount of work they were putting in behind the scenes when nobody else was around. Right. Now, um, I mean, what's your philosophy on trainers? I know I have mine, but uh, I have girls now at my new school that, I mean, they all have a trainer. Um, but uh, what's your philosophy there? Because I am not quite sure with trainers these days, really what they're doing and, and are they really connected with the head coach? That's important, right? They have to be, there has to be a good relationship between the head coach and the trainer, right? Well, I, I think based on, you know, the experiences we've had here, primarily our girls are playing AAU. There's not a lot of them going out and working with individual skill trainers for the most wow. part. Um, some of the AAU coaches will, will contact high school coaches and, and ask about specific players. Many do not. Um, I did have a player about 10 years ago who played for me. Uh, she really wanted to play college basketball. And so she did hire a personal trainer. Um, and the problem we ran into there was the trainer was telling her one thing. My staff and I were telling her something different. Uh, parents were paying a ton of money to the trainer. And so they tend to decide with the trainer on what she should or shouldn't do. And so that became a, a point of contention for a while during that player's um, summer between her junior and senior year. So um, obviously the more voices that are inside a kid's head, uh, the more they have to be mentally strong enough to sort out, you know, what works and what doesn't work and who to trust and who not to trust. Some of the trainers, as you know, are out there to just make a buck. They're not real concerned with the player as a person and their growth um, off the court as well as on the court. And, and others of them are, are really, really good. Um, I had the fortune of having one of my seniors from this past season worked out with another high school coach I'm very good friends with. Um, and because our two programs weren't connected, he could work out with her throughout the offseason because he wasn't part of our program and she wasn't part of his. And so that was a really good situation for us because of the trust that I had with this other coach and with the player, knowing that she was going to make good decisions um, based on attending these workouts, taking them in, but also when we, she came back to our team, listening to us and doing what we needed her to do as well. That's a great point. I have a good, I, I, I can give you an example of that, Jeremy. This is not my podcast. This is yours, but I, I just want to get your feelings on this. Uh, I have a, um, a guy named Mike Griggs. He's a trainer out here. He's one of the best. Uh, I think he's one of the best in the state. Um, he lives in Loganville where the school is. He works out with three or four of my players. I'm actually trying to get more players with him. 
but he's constantly, he's a good friend of mine and he's constantly um, kind of coming to our practice, kind of, kind of say, what are you doing? So he wants to make it as similar as possible. And where I know he's really locked in is uh, the girls are talking about you know, how similar it is on our, um, on our language and everything. And he's building our program up. And so I'm, I think that's a great, I think it's a great idea for trainers to get together with head coaches. You better have a good relationship with them. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I think, part of the struggle that um, we high school coaches see here just with the AAU side of things too. I think there's a, a big disconnect at times um, between the high school and the AAU programs. And as high school coaches, I'll, I'll talk with my colleagues and, and we often find as we move from the summer into the beginning of our season that there are certain things that we want our players to do that they're very hesitant to do or, or they have habits that are hard to break because A, you sure. have taught them how to do things one way and then they get into the high school season and we want them to do it differently. Right. Um, and there have been some times where I've, I've needed to remind players, hey, this is, this is our team, this is an AAU um, so we have to do the things we want to do them our way. When you go to AAU, you can do it the way your coach wants to. Um, but I think that puts kids in a tough position because they really have to sort out um, many different approaches to playing the game of basketball. And I think you go back to the idea of simplifying things. Uh, the more adults that are involved with the kid in playing basketball, the more it can complicate it too. Yes. What do you think? I was listening to a podcast the other day, uh, Chris Oliver, about are you talking to a college coaching what he does he thinks everybody should hire a roster management coach where basically all he or she does is communicates with there's the kids circle of influence the parents the uncles the family so they know because what's happening at the college level jeremy as you know that kids are the transfer portal is crazy so how can we keep these kids how do we know what they're thinking because as soon as a kid doesn't want you know he's not playing Boy, they're going to the next school. To me, I think that's a brilliant idea. Have somebody specifically there to communicate, to keep the coach kind of um, understanding what's going on. Well, I, I think that is something that would be really beneficial here in Minnesota for hockey. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have such a huge crop of Division One kids, and they are constantly being pulled by basketball or sorry, hockey advisors. <laughs> also probably called agents if you want to yeah. be honest with it and I know my high school uh, hockey coach here is a friend of mine from our football staff and we talk all the time about um, outside influences and he said that's probably the number one thing that that the hockey coaches here deal with and right. so I could see that being really beneficial in hockey basketball I don't think we're at that point here in Minnesota um, but I could see a position that you are describing almost being like a director of operations, uh -huh. so to speak. And we have that on our football staff at the high school. Um, I just don't have the resources to be able to get somebody like that in basketball. Right. Sure. Uh, I'm actually going to try that actually with my staff, my coaching staff. Uh, I got two female coaches. I think the more communication, the better. And I think nowadays, because, hey, we're in a big county. I mean, we want to keep our kids here at our school. So, I mean, we got to make sure that we're doing everything possible to get the kids to believe in our program right. and, and communication is key. 
Um, Coach, talk about, I love this right here, team book studies. Um, these are some great books right here. Of course, Dick uh, Defenzo. Um, how do you say that again? I think it's Devenzio. Devenzio. Thank you so much. Coming from Coach DiGiovanni. So <laughs> say, say that, say both of those names quickly. It's going to be tough. Um, but I know he's a great, he, he designed first design point guard college and all that. Talk a little bit about some of the great books you've read. Well, um, going back a couple of years, uh, we decided we wanted our players to be able to connect more deeply with each other, with us. Uh, and with themselves on and off the court, we wanted some ways to um, help build stronger team chemistry. Um, and as teachers, my, my whole staff and I, we're all teachers. So we really feel that also basketball is, is one vehicle to teach life lessons just in a different way uh, instead of being in the classroom. And so we wanted to be able to bring all those things together and help our kids really think about and internalize different parts of the game that they can connect to other parts of their life and prepare them for, for good futures. And so a couple of years ago, we, we started out with Think Like a Champion by Dick Venzio. And then this past year, um, my B-Squad coach came up with uh, Kwame Alexander's The Playbook, 52 Rules to Score in the Game Called Life. And basically what we did is, is I would start out, we, we would each take a chapter or a section of each book. Um, we'd read it and then we'd prepare a short presentation for our players Yeah. Uh, based on what was the content of the, the topic we read about. And then why would we choose it for our team in that particular season and how can it help us in, in, as a team in basketball, but how can it also help us in life? So my staff and I would usually take the first few uh, chapters or sections and model it for the players. And then the girls would sign up um, two years ago. I think they each had to go twice. And this past year with having a shortened season, each girl took one section. And then on days where we had um, practice and we weren't in the weight room lifting. So we just had the open time before we could get in the gym. Uh, we'd take five or 10 minutes and discuss whatever the topic of the day was um, and it's something that I know our girls really started looking forward to doing. They got to be really good at writing post-it notes and highlighting things and writing papers of key topics that they wanted to share with our, our whole team. And um, I think it really did help in so many ways thinking about the game differently. And it, it was not so much X's and O's. There's very little X's and O's. It was more the mental approach to the game, the emotional approach to, to success and failure, uh, and then how you interact with your coaches and your teammates. Um, and so we really tried to use those book studies as a way to, to use basketball to paint a bigger picture of life altogether. That's a great idea, Coach. And I know I've been coaching girls for 30 years. I know girls, they, they, that's how they think, because girls are all about relationships and about connecting with each other and so forth. So I think, um, do you think that's easier on the girl's side than the boy's side? Because I don't think, I'm not sure how many boys coaches do this, um, but I think it's really vitally important. Um, it, I, I think it really depends on the, the group of players you're with and the coaches that are involved with those uh, players. On the football side here at Elk River, um, 
our head coach had actually been down in Georgia before he came up here. And one of the things he brought to our team was a leadership camp. And so for two days or two nights in June each year, he gets all the seniors together and each of the coaches talks about a certain topic, not necessarily related to football, but life in general right. as a way to promote stronger leadership skills amongst our seniors, but also in helping them build stronger relationships with each other and with us. Um, and I think that's lost a little bit on the boys side. You know, you hear about, as you mentioned on the girls side, so much of it is relationships or as one of my former assistants told me, she said, with boys, it's about competition first and then cooperation with girls. It's the other way around. Girls want to cooperate first. If you can get them together on the same page, then the competition will come after it. Um, I, I just think it's a valuable thing that I would use with either boys or girls, especially in this day and age where there's so much on their phones and they're, sure. they communicate via text versus via in person. Um, I, I think something like this in a book study allows them to have that open communication face-to-face, -face, but it also allows them to be a little bit vulnerable and share their feelings in front of their team where if we didn't do something like this, they may not know. And, and so then teammates don't know each other as well either. Yeah. And I think it's a daily thing. Don't you think, Jeremy? I think um, just by, you know, basically, you know, the, I call it the circle of influence. Um, I think it's each day that the players need to kind of know about their teammates. I think we, we assume a lot, but a lot of times the kids don't know that much about each other. I mean, how, have you found that out over the years? Like we, like they, a lot of times the kids, they don't really know their teammates that well. Maybe that's why it's showing up on the court. I think uh, that can be really true, especially in a big school. Um, one of the things I love about Elk River is even though we are one of the bigger schools in the state, um, the kids have all really grown up together mm -hmm. and they know each other really well for the most part. Uh, so they've got a ton of familiarity. Um, I, I see that maybe more being an issue in some of the more, uh, inner city schools where there's a lot of transferring going on and, and kids don't know each other real well. Um, and so every year it's almost like being in a college situation where you have to reintroduce players to each other. I've been very fortunate that the schools I've coached at our kids have really, for the most part, been together since they were in third or fourth grade, um, that was one of the things going back to the 2017 championship team. I think that if you ever watched them play would be most evident is those five seniors had played together since they were in elementary school. And so that chemistry uh, was very easy to see and how they played on the floor. And I really feel that's what carried them through those toughest times when the games were on the line, especially late in the season. That's important. That's a whole nother topic there with transferring. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. And uh, in Georgia, we're as guilty as possible, particularly in the Atlanta area. The transfer portal's unbelievable. That's a whole nother podcast there. But uh, I think that schools that do well, they keep their players intact and it's more of a community school. Hey, Coach Pete, talk to Coach Pete's coach, girls and boys, so he can give us both perspectives. What about team chemistry? What do you, what did you do coach Pete to kind of get your team to uh, display that cohesiveness more? 
Well, it's not so difficult with girls. They want team chemistry. Their relationships, like you said, that dominates everything. It's a big thing to them uh, to do fun things together. Little things like an ice cream supper or several things during the year. One of the simple things that I found out over the years, and I won't even tell you how long it was when I started coaching because I don't want you to know. But the more times that people eat meals together, the closer they get. And that's a real simple thing, but I'm telling you, it really, really works. And I would encourage any young coach, probably didn't have the money to do it, but as many times as you can have your players eat meals together, it's going to help your basketball team. And uh, as a coach, I think one of the things you can do to build it is, is take each day after practice before the year starts, take two of your players somewhere to eat. You need two of them. You don't want to wait where you got one one-on-one. -on -one. You need two, three, two other guys there with you to make better conversation. But I just always noticed that once I ever did that, that I took them out someplace to eat and we didn't talk about basketball, things got better. They would uh, look you up in the hallway, always make sure they got your eye to wave at you somewhere, you know, and you keep doing those kinds of small things. But the day that the most important thing I think with kids, the moment they realize that everything that you're doing is going to empower them, not only now, but when they're grown in the workaday world, when they believe that you've got them. And even when you make mistakes, even when you say things you ought not to, they're going to forgive you and move on because they believe that if they roll with you until they graduate, I'm going to be empowered. Because it's all, everybody wants to be empowered. And that's what basketball does. And another thing I think we need to tell our players too is that you're going to find out one day that your very best is not good enough. You're going to play against somebody that you can't beat. I'll never forget, you may have, some of y'all may have done this. The first time I ever played against a big time division one point guard. And uh, I was a pretty good player. I really. Man, it's such a pleasure to be on Championship Vision Podcast, one of the premier podcasts for top high school coaches and rising coaches in the game of basketball. My name is Michael Williams, and I'm the founder of the Williams Advancement Agency. WAA is a full-service agency here to assist all coaches at every level to be successful in the position they are now and obtain the future coaching position they're looking for. And you know how guys, when you're young coaches, you, you play basketball, you go to the gym and you choose up. And one of those big time division one players showed up and I thought that, Hey, I can play with him. Well, you know what I found out? It didn't matter what I did. He literally dominated me and I've never been humble like that, but this game of basketball will teach you humility. It'll teach you to respect those that, that are above you, so to speak. And to deal with failure, I, I think if you don't understand how to deal with failure, you got a problem because this life is, hey, one day it's failure, the next day it's not. But I just think that uh, it, words are so powerful. I always, I put together probably 25 phrases that I used to coach with. It's just a few words, and, but it meant so much. And I explained it to them where I could just scream one word and they know what I mean. 
You know, it's like if I holler Barkley, that means you're not rebounding. When you, you hear the word Barkley, you know, you better have a wide base. Your elbows better be out and your hands better be up. So you, you, you get that and they get, when they start, when they start feeling empowered, that is the absolute most important thing. And if a coach can, you know, some coaches can, can instruct, but they don't know how to inspire. But you cannot inspire uh, an unprepared player. When their legs go, they're gone, right? You can talk all you want. and It's just not going to work. And, but I think we're a calling for coaches. Do. I remember Billy Graham years ago said that a normal coach will influence more players for good in one year than the average person does in a lifetime. And that's why I think the foundation of all this is about building those tight relationships. But I go back again to this thing of the more meals they eat together, the more dialogue you have, um, the stronger the bond's going to get. And girls are different. I won a state championship in Mississippi with girls. And the, it's a world of difference. Uh, the boys are just, I don't know, they just move forward. They're not, they don't care about Girls know how to celebrate. Now, Kevin's team, let me tell you something now, their whole power base was the culture. It was a, it was a coming together. And they talked about it all the time. And those girls love to be with each other. And I think that's what you're looking for. But it comes back to either everything you do for them is to empower them or it's not. And let me tell you, the girls know it right off the bat. I say this a thousand times and I'm through here, but <laughs> girls either love you or they hate you. There's not much middle ground that I've found. And they know it pretty quickly. Now they'll put it, they'll go passive aggressive on you and make you think everything is fine. But boy, if they don't believe in you, if they don't believe that everything you do is for their best benefit, but the moment they do, when you get angry, they respond. When you get happy, they get happy with you. But athletics to me is all about learning how to celebrate, to really, really celebrate. And girls have got the corner on that. Y'all watch any girls softball lately? Those <laughs> girls know how to celebrate when they play athletics. I, I don't watch Major League Baseball anymore, and I played college baseball. It's too slow. Uh, pro baseball players, they've got to scratch their posterior protoplasm about 15 times between pitches. And then, you know, it – it just gets so slow. You just, I just flip it over and just find the girls' softball. Man, that game's fast, fast. And when they hit a home run or something, they celebrate like the, you know, like nobody else. And I'm, <laughs> I, I can't celebrate like that. Yeah. And um, I think Kevin's teams did that. But I'll tell you, if you ever want to learn how to build a, a culture, call this guy Kevin right here. He can show you how to build a culture now. He really can. But anyway, I'm through. I just wanted to throw those things at you. Hey, and I, I'm here to learn about, about Jeremy because I love his words that you talked about. I want you to talk about your core values, Jeremy, and really celebrate uh, your philosophy on what you do at Elk. We, we started having the girls come up with their own core values because going back to what Pete said, empowering them uh, to be able to take ownership in the program. Um, you know, we tell them we're going to be here for year to year basis. You guys are only here for a short time and then you move on. And, and so this season is really about yourself and your team. Um, so 
what we would do at the beginning of the season once our teams were all set up is we take our varsity kids and I give them a survey you know what are two or three or four core values you want to focus on and then we would compile them into a list we'd show that to the team and then we open it up to discussion amongst the players which one of these do you want to continue moving forward with which ones are we going to set aside and we really wanted to narrow it down to three so that it was something easy for them to focus on and remember. Um, and as you can see here on the slide, um, this year's team, our model was not because we have to, but because we get to. With COVID, we didn't know if we were going to have a season or not. So we really wanted to appreciate every moment that we were in the gym and being together. And then the girls came up with their three values that they really wanted to focus on were, were having a positive experience. And I think that was really important to them because they had missed out on so much over the, the previous eight months, you know, between quarantines and restrictions. Um, and then going to the strong relationship part that, that Pete mentioned, um, I think one of the biggest things our girls really missed out on this year was team meals. Um, we would take them out yeah. two or three times a year as a team but then they would go out as a group on their own without coaches together and, right. and have meals after games, or they would have sleepovers together. And this year with the restrictions, we weren't able to do that. And I think that was one of the biggest things that the girls told us that they really missed out on was just having those team bonding experiences off the court. Um, and then the third one was dedication. Um, and and our girls have been together long enough. They know that in order to accomplish any of the goals that, that they would set out, that everybody on the team needed to be dedicated to reaching that goal. And, and so I think those core values were, were something that the girls really tied hard to this year. And we were able to point to them throughout our season. And, and I think it was a big reason that we were able to have uh, the success we were able to because they believed so much in each other and, and what they were trying to accomplish together. So Jeremy, you have the players. So each year you do your motto and your core values so they could stay the same or change each year. Yeah. So our, our motto this year was, was more specific to COVID um, and just having that time to be able to appreciate being together. The core values, uh, those may or may not change. Um, we are graduating four seniors um, out of our 16 player roster. So the, the bulk of, the girls that will be coming back this year will have played with us this past season. They may decide they want to keep some or all of those, or they may decide that for this new team with the new players we'll have coming in, that they need to have a little bit different direction. And I honestly can't tell you which way that's going to go until we sit down and, and talk about it as a team in November. Um, but I really want them to be able to take ownership in the team for this season. You know, the, the 2020-2021 team was one group. Now we're, we're, some of those girls are moving on to college and we're going to have some younger kids coming in. So that's, it's going to be a, a different dynamic. Every year is completely stands on its own uh, based on the personnel that you have. And, and so they may choose uh, a totally different direction than, than what we had this past year. And it's, I think that's some of the intrigue and fun for me as a coach to be able to see what the girls identify as important to them each year. Yeah. I think a lot of coaches can learn from this because I think a lot of times, you know, we keep the same wording, we keep the same values, all that. 
I, I love your input of your players. I think we forget about that sometimes, Jeremy, right? I think, I think the coaches need to stay out of stuff, right? I mean, your players got to, the players got to take ownership. Well, and, and one of the things that, you know, I've found over the years is, especially with girls, um, they really want to get along with each other. But if they don't, if there's an issue between them, they, they tend to let that fester at times and it can, can last throughout the season. And many times they won't tell us what's going on, yet they're hesitant to take care of it themselves. So I, I feel having these core values is one way for them to be empowered, to be able to resolve some issues without having an, an adult, a coach, a parent, a teacher, whatever it might be, solve the problems for them. And that's a life skill that they're going to have to be able to have. This year, um, you know, we had no instances of drama on our team. You know, our, our girls were completely committed to each other and, and the goals they had set out. And it was one of the most enjoyable seasons I've ever had because we didn't have that behind the scenes stuff going on that you can have in other seasons. That's probably why you were 19 and two, correct? I mean, I, I, I think it was a big part of it. <laughs> That's a big part of it in the girls yeah. side. Um, hey, coaching staff. Um, I think this is the most neglected. It's, it's a hard to build a good coaching staff, Jeremy, that is loyal and trustworthy. How do you all do it at Elks? Uh, it, it's really interesting here. Um, you know, with me being in two sports, I get to see two different types of coaching staffs. And, and I think one of the um, constants between the two basketball and football is that the staffs by and large don't change very often. There's a lot of continuity um, between the coaches on each staff on my staff. I've been here uh, since 2012. Um, my top assistant um, he's been on staff since 2009. He's also the, been the girls soccer coach now going on 20 years. Uh, my head JV coach actually took my spot when I took a year and went up North and he's been here ever since my B squad coach has been here for 10 years. Our strength coach has been around for, for going on 30 years. Um, so, you know, I, I think it helps the, uh, the coaches, we all know what to expect from each other. We know what each other is strengths and weaknesses are my staff knows what my overall goals are just like in football as an assistant I know what our head coaches overall goals and values are and, and so does everybody on the staff so it makes it real easy to borrow your phrase you know the row the boat to get everybody with a paddle in the water and, and be going in the same direction because you know each other so well um, I use the example with with coach Stoiter uh, my varsity assistant, he and I have, have known each other for about 15 years going on when we were rivals at opposite schools. And then we coached together in Rogers for a couple of years. And he was actually the one that got me to come to Elk River. Um, and, and we're able to complete each other's sentences. We give each other grief a lot. We're, we're able to, to tease each other and have fun with that. And I tell the girls, you know, we can say things like this to each other because we've known each other longer than some of you have been alive. And so having a relationship like that um, allows the kids to see that, you know, we're a team, but we can also have fun with each other because we know 
what gets each other going, but we also know where that line needs to not be crossed too. So it, it makes it for not only effective coaching, but it makes it for a lot of fun because we share a lot of light moments together and, and we do things outside of basketball together too, uh, which makes those bonds even stronger. Just like the girls need to do things off of the court to promote that good, strong team chemistry. As coaches, we need to do the same things. That's some great points there. And what I'm looking at here with Brian um, is you have another head coach on the staff, particularly a soccer coach. Coach, I think that's a smart move, man. You're a pretty smart guy. Um, so I'm assuming the, the soccer goes in the spring. You guys have good communication on that. I'm sure sharing players and all that, which is really important today, isn't it? Well, hey, first of all, I'm not the smart one. I, I just surround myself with smart people. I think a good head coach has to That's do that. Smart. You have to you have to find good people to to have around you. And Brian is is certainly one of the best. Um, soccer for girls here is in the fall. Oh, okay. so our our seasons. He's busy with soccer. I'm busy with with football in the fall. So we don't have to worry about crossover with our players too much. Then it really comes down to the summertime. Uh, when we both are working with the girls, uh, we just have to coordinate our schedules so that when I have basketball stuff set up, it doesn't uh, run at the same time as his soccer stuff, because we really don't want our girls to have to make choices of which sport they're going to go to. We want them to have the opportunities to do both. Uh, one of the things I know with, with Brian with soccer, though, is he is really good at relating how the game of soccer is all about space. Yeah to how it ties into basketball in just a shorter amount of space. Uh, so he draws a ton of comparisons between the two. And because we have several soccer players on our team, they are really able to understand basketball concepts a little bit more easily because he can relate them to something they know really well with soccer. Um, and, and with him being a head coach, he also understands the administrative side of the job. And so he knows what goes into running a program behind the scenes. So he's always willing to, to help me do whatever needs to get done to keep the basketball non-playing side of things going in the right direction. That's a great point. I think um, yeah, I, I, particularly with soccer, uh, I mean, girls, I have soccer, my soccer girls have great feet. They can run all day. Uh, I love having soccer players on my roster. Uh, I think that's really important. Hey, um, talk about, you have a big staff here, coach. Um, you have a ninth grade team, B team. How do you communicate with all your coaches? Help the coaches that are listening who have a big coaching staff. Uh, give us some, give us some secrets on how you uh, make sure that everybody's singing the same song. Well, we try to, first of all, have a, a team staff meeting uh, probably in October each year, lay out our plans for the season and, and what are we trying to accomplish, not only with our steams, but in terms of, you know, team organization and, and team building activities, things like that. Once the season gets going, um, the way we have it set up with our gym space is um, our varsity and JV practice together as one group. So myself and, and Brian and Ryan, my two main assistants, um, we're all together all the time. And then on the court right next to us, most of the time will be uh, Mike, my B squad coach and his team. So 
with all of us basically being in the same room every day, it makes it pretty easy to have ongoing discussions about what we're trying to accomplish each day and, and any changes we might want to make. Uh, my ninth grade coach tends to have to be a little bit more on his own. They always practice right after school and they're moving around from place to place. Uh, they practice at two different middle schools. They'll practice in a different gym at the high school. So we don't always cross paths too much. Um, with him, it has to be more, uh, I have to be able to, to call him, email him or text him, you know, and vice versa as things come up. Um, just to be able to stay in constant communication because once the season gets going, we don't see a ton of each other except on game nights, really, when we're all at the same location. Um, I, I'm a real big believer in, in communicating ideas to my staff. I want them to have ownership in everything we do. I, I, I don't ever view it as my program. It's our program. So there's a shared responsibility in, in everything we do. I have to have the final say on things and, and make you know, those executive decisions at time. But I really want input from my staff because I want everybody to feel like their voice is important and that their opinion is valued. And even if I don't go along with everything that we talked about and they understand that you can offer suggestions, I have to make the final decision. I want them to know that my that I'm hearing their voices and, and understand where they're coming from. Because I think I go back to my experience as an assistant coach and I worked for great coaches who took what I had to say and, and my ideas and they would use a lot of them and some they didn't, but they always valued input. And it, it made me feel like a really important part of the team. And I want my assistants to feel that same way. So constant communication and willingness to be, able to share and listen to ideas of others is only going to make not only our team better, but it's going to make me a better coach as well. Yeah. And you were an assistant. So that helps, right? I mean, you know, you, you were in their shoes. Um, and so what, so do you, you have to value assistance. I know sometimes me as head coach, um, um, I try to give my assistance as much delegated responsibility as possible. We have to do that, right, Jeremy? Yes, and I, that was one of the things I had wanted to talk about tonight is, you know, the first thing I had mentioned earlier is surrounding yourself with good people. First right. and foremost is, is key in having a good staff, but then being willing to delegate responsibilities to, to your staff, not only does that lighten the load a little bit on me as the head coach, but it also empowers them to have some ownership in what we are trying to accomplish as a program as well and helps everybody to feel important and, and feel valued. And, um, you know, I say it at the banquet every year and maybe it sounds cliche, but I truly feel it. I've got the best staff here in Minnesota that I could ever ask for uh, because we're all rowing the boat the same way. The paddles are in the same direction in the water and, um, everybody has the shared goal of, of making our, our team better, but also helping our girls turn into uh, honorable young women once they leave our high school program and, and getting them the skills they need to be successful in the real world. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't have a big ego. I delegate to my assistants and I'm not afraid to give them credit when, when credit is due for them. Coach, let's go on right here. I, I probably was a step behind because you've already been talking about these things. 
essentials of a successful coaching staff. Um, rarely ever talked about at the high school level. I think it's undervalued, um, but I know the best programs, for example, out here, Buford High School, as Pete Acock knows, they have the best coaching staff. You, they have some great coaches, but they're all together. They're all have one shared philosophy. Of course, you know, Gene Durden. Yep. Um, I mean, Gene has the best coaching staff you could ever find, but it's because of the direction of Gene. Talk about some of the things you have listed here. Well, a, a lot of times in high school, you inherit a staff. When you take a new job, you inherit assistant coaches that are there. Some ADs will, will tell you this is the staff you get, um, and you have to fit them into how you want your program to run. Other ADs, such as mine at Elk River, give the, the head coach the freedom to comprise the staff of however you want to. Um, I was really fortunate when I got here or when I returned in 2016 that I knew all of our coaches. And so I didn't have to go through the get to know you process and, and assessing where everybody was at. Uh, that made it easy for me. But I think um, if you're going to be successful on a coaching staff, the first thing you obviously need to have is a shared vision and philosophies. Can you get everybody on the same page? Um, with my background in football and being on coaching staffs that have 15 to 20 different coaches on them, that's not always an easy thing to do, but it's probably the most important thing because um, you're going to have times when you may disagree with, with other coaches on the staff, but if you can keep that behind closed doors and, and turn those disagreements into good productive conversations that might result in positive change, that's good. Mm -hmm. But I know that if you still don't agree with the head coach, or you don't agree with your assistants, you still have to provide a unified front to your kids, to the public, um, because it's important that your kids know that you're on the same page. People like to divide and conquer. And if they see any opportunity in there where they, they feel a fracture in between a staff, they're going to jump on it. Um, I was an assistant at one point, and our head coach was under fire uh, from some parents. And I had a parent approach me at, saying that, hey, we, we want you to be the next head coach. And I said, I'm, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. You know, this, this guy is, is a mentor of mine. He's one of my good friends. He's doing the right thing. Right. You guys may not approve of it, but he's doing the right thing, and he should be the head coach. I'm not having this conversation. Um, I was in another situation uh, on the football side of it where the, the offensive and defensive staffs were, were – um, having strong disagreements about how the game should be played and, and neither one was really supporting the head coach and our program just crumbled because of it. Exactly. So you have to have everybody on the same page. Um, and then going to, back to the relationship part that I mentioned prior, you know, your kids have to see that, um, you know, as a staff, you work well together. You know, if there's friction between the staff, if you don't communicate well, if you don't enjoy being around each other, the kids are going to pick up on that. And it, it's going to be a hindrance in you accomplishing your goals and, and building a successful program. Uh, we, we discussed communication and, and the importance of that. Um, I think longevity is a huge part. We have a tremendous amount of stability in our staffs at Elk River. And I think that's one of the reasons uh, we have a pretty successful athletic program overall here. Um, there are other schools that there's a lot of turnover in their staff. 
And because the kids don't have that consistency, it's really hard to build long lasting success. Um, Jeremy, can I, can I, can I just uh, intercept real quick? Uh, sure. Um, I think you're right. I, I, do you find out, and I, I've seen over the years that it's not just your own program that needs cohesiveness. It has to be really a, a total mindset of the athletic program, right? Because your best programs are all in it together. The football coach wants the girls' basketball to do well. The basketball wants the baseball team to do well. That's important, right? Yes, and I, I think that goes back to the small school feel that we have at Elk River. Our teams support each other real well. Our coaches get along with each other real well across the different sports and the different seasons. Um, you know, we've, we've worked on trying to set up coaches you know, similar to our group chat that we have, having uh, gatherings like that, um, our gymnastics coaches working on setting up a, a coach's Bible study for us to get together and share views on faith along with athletics. Um, and so I think having that shared overall commitment to providing our students with the best athletic experience possible has enabled us to have success across the board in, in our different sports. Yeah, I love that. Continue on. I think the next topic was uh, uh, the dedication factor. Yeah. Um, you know, as an assistant, I was constantly working as hard as I could to do whatever I could to help our team be successful, whether that was watching film, going out on the road, scouting, writing up scouting reports, uh, staying at the gym after practice and rebounding for players. And I, I saw the value in that. And that's something that I've tried to instill in, in my coaches. And, and I don't even have to ask them twice. They're willing to do anything that's necessary to help the overall success of our program. Um, the next one I have on here is flexibility. Um, you know, is your coaching staff able to learn and teach a variety of skills and, and perform multiple duties? Um, you know, can you coach post? Can you coach guards? Are you comfortable with offense and defense? Will you go out on the road and, and stout, even though it's a night off from practice? Can you do that? Because maybe someone else on the staff has commitments and they can't get to that. Uh, but I think the last point for me is the biggest one, and, and that's loyalty. Uh, a good staff is going to be loyal uh, to each other no matter what the circumstances are, you're going to provide that unified front. And um, I, I really feel that's where my staff is right now. Um, and that's why I love these guys so much is that uh, we'll do anything for each other. And, and our kids see that uh, it helps us in those tough times. You know, I, I can look at my guys when we're in the heat of the battle and I know they've got my back and I've got theirs because we've done so much together over the years. Um, I've also been in, in situations where the staff has. Hey coaches, this is Nick Bartlett, marketing manager here at Dr. Dish Basketball. And we're thrilled to be a part of the 2020 Championship Vision Virtual Clinic. Coach Kevin Furtado has been a great friend of ours for a few years now, and we greatly appreciate his commitment to growing the game the right way and providing great resources to the basketball coaching community. At Dr. Dish, we're always here to help as well with our state-of-the-art equipment, drills, and content. If you're ready to upgrade to the best training machines in the world and join top programs like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, Louisville, and countless others, we'd love to have you as a part of the Dr. Dish family. Remember, we take trade-ins on all shooting machines, including competitors, for significant discounts. 
And just by registering for this clinic, you're eligible to receive an additional exclusive $300 off your next Dr. Dish purchase. For more information, visit our website at drdishbasketball.com. Give us a call or shoot me an email directly at nick at drdishbasketball.com. And make sure to follow us on all social media channels at drdishbball. It's not been loyal to the head coach where, you know, coach and assistant has tried to undermine the head coach's success and, and try to get parents on, on his or her side. And that only results in, in turmoil for the team, but it also takes away from the positive experience that you want your, your players to have. Um, and, and so if your staff isn't loyal to each other, if, if there's a negative influence in there, you have to be able to get rid of that. Otherwise, it's just going to detract from the success of everything. These are all great points, Coach. And any young coach out there listening, please take these down. These are great notes right here, particularly if you're starting a new program this summer. Coach, let me talk to you a very controversial question. Let's say a coach is not following these principles. What's your next step? Do you cut them off in the middle part of the year or you wait to the end of the season? We, we hate to never do that, but sometimes you got to cut ties. Yeah, I had an unfortunate situation when I was at Rogers um, where during the season, uh, one of my lower level coaches was was not interacting with our players the way that we had wanted him to. Um, it happened at the latter stages of the season. Uh, so I had addressed it with him. Things did get better, uh, but ultimately at the end of the season, my my other assistants really felt, um, you know, for the benefit of the whole program that, that we needed to move on from them. And, and I agree, there was, there was too many negative things that had happened. And so at the end of the season, uh, despite the fact that I, I liked the guy a lot, I thought he was a, a, a good person. Uh, some of the, the things that were going on with the kids just didn't vibe with what we were trying to do as a program. And so I had to make that change. And, and, you know, and, and Pete is, as a head coach or an administrator or a boss of any sort, cutting people out of your, your program is not an easy thing to do. In fact, it's probably one of the most difficult things there is to do, especially if it's someone that, that you personally like um, and, and you don't want to see them go, but you know it's the best thing for the program overall. Coach, let's get on to the coaching staff makeup. You have some great points here that I personally believe him. I want you to talk about uh, also, I love when you talk about draw from the football model. I want you to get into that, but uh, start from the first point, surround yourself with smart people. Yeah. It's, you know, I, being a head coach at two different spots, um, you know, my first spot in Rogers, I had been on a great staff, but when I took over the head coach and, and my current assistant, Brian, both stepped away to do some other things. And so I really had to, bring in a new coaching staff and uh, not a lot of experience from some of them. And so there were times I, I felt like I had to do a lot on my own, which as a rookie head coach, you know, there were a lot more mistakes I made back then than I, I would probably now. Um, so when I got here to Elk River and took over uh, the program, I was really excited to know that the guys that were already on staff here were very knowledgeable people that would only be um, an asset to me and help me um, be successful in my growth as a coach. 
Um, so I've got two coaches, you know, myself and, and Brian are our head coaches. Um, and then, you know, four out of the five of us coach other sports. Uh, so that having different um, areas to draw on, um, you can see not only different knowledge bases, but you can also see the collective um, understanding of working with kids right. in different environments. Um, and, and so if I were to add up the total years of experience across various sports of, uh, of coaches in our program, you know, it, it would probably be a pretty big number, but that experience has helped me grow as a coach. It's helped our, our players be successful and it's helped our program continue to have success as the years have gone on. Um, and, and then I like to draw from football. I've, I've actually coached football longer than basketball. Um, and football is such a unique sport in that you have so many kids that you deal with. So your staff is, is much bigger than any other sport. And everybody has a very specific duty in football. You know, you're coaching the, the offensive line or you're coaching the linebackers or the receivers. And you really focus in on your position group. And then you have an understanding of the, the team concept as a whole. And so, you know, in, in some ways, I've tried to do that with our staff. Um, you know, one of my assistants is primarily responsible for a lot of our offensive concepts. Um, and so there will be things that, that we're working on that, you know, he sees a little bit different twist. And, and if it's something I like, I let him teach it to the kids. You know, my other assistant really focuses more on the defensive side. Um, you know, in practice, when we do a guard post split session, one of them is, is really good working with the big kids and, and footwork and things like that. And the other one uh, is strong with the guards. And so just having the different coaches have an area of expertise that they can call their own, I think gives them that little extra ownership and a little bit more focus to be able to say, this is my time now. This is what I need to be good at to help our team really be successful because you can be a jack of all trades and master of none or you can have a, a really good area of concentration that you're solid in. And, you know, for me, um, you know, I'm more of a defensive minded head coach, but my one assistant is very offensive minded. And so he helps balance me out. He's taught me a lot about the game and, and the offensive side of it. So I draw on his, his knowledge continually. Uh, the other one is a younger coach who has learned concepts a little bit differently than I did when I played. And so he's able to bring some of the newer ideas. So just having that balance of old and new uh, one area to another, you know, different parts of the game, I think helps our, our team have different perspectives from the coaching staff to be able to relate to our girls in different ways. Um, and then all of our coaches, you know, I, I want to have them all have a say in, in how we develop our players how we evaluate them. You know, when we do our tryouts at the beginning of the season, all five of us are there with every player nine through 12 in the program. Um, so that when we have to start separating girls into teams, everybody has a voice in that. Um, I want my coaches all involved in scouting and game planning so that when it comes time to being able to make adjustments during games, uh, especially at like halftime when we have discussions, uh, I like to have different perspectives that I can draw from uh, heading into the summer here. As we start planning our summer program, all of our coaches will be involved and they'll all have input in what we do. 
Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, we're all teachers. So we really stress the academic portion of being a student athlete, student first, athlete second. And three of my coaches are, are in the high school building as teachers. So they're able to actively monitor academic progress. And that's uh, something they take very seriously and is a big reason why our girls stay on top of their work for the most part, because they know that they have teachers in the building that are, are checking up on them, but they're also there to help them if they need it. Yeah, if you found out that with really good assistance like you have, you're saying less, but when you talk, it's more powerful. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. I mean, instead of you talking all the time, people start, I know uh, people start tuning you out after a while, right? So, oh, for sure. <laughs> so it sounds like you have a great system there with your assistants. Oh, I, I, I absolutely love my staff. They're willing to do whatever is necessary to, to give our girls the best experience possible. And, and uh, I'm just looking forward to now that many of the COVID restrictions have lifted for us to be able to hang out together on the golf course or, or at a twins game or something like that. You know, things we've done in the past that we weren't able to do much this past year. Absolutely. Hey, the next thing I want you to do, I want you to, I want to get an interview with PJ Fleck. He's my guy. So you got to have some contacts. <laughs> I'll, I'll check into that. PJ is a busy guy. He's, he's running around all over the place, trying to get uh, different things done to promote his program. And, and he's certainly done a nice job uh, keeping the, the Gopher football team going in a good direction here. Yeah. He's an amazing, uh, he's an amazing coach in many facets, but is the ability to inspire and motivate is second to none. Um, talk about administrative support here. To me, this is underrated. Um, we don't all have great administrative support. I know I've been very fortunate to be under some good administrators. Uh, talk about some essentials to that. Uh, I, I feel if your athletic director, your principal, your superintendent, if those people aren't behind what you're trying to accomplish with your your program, you're not going to be in it for the long haul. You're not going to, to have success. You're not going to be around very long. I'm very blessed here at Elk River. Our current AD has been here for a dozen or so years. Uh, he hired me as an assistant when I first got here, um, and he's here still to this day. Um, he's always one that has our back. Um, you know, when, when issues come up, with whether it be um, parents, kids, uh, other administration in the building, he's always there to support us. Um, and that's all I've ever asked. When I came back to Elk River, um, knowing he was the AD, I knew that would, the, the support part would be there, which made it very comfortable for me to walk into the job. Um, I think a good administrative team has to be willing to, to support your coaches. You know, Kevin uh, and Pete, that in this day and age, parents want to have a bigger voice in, in high school athletics, right. uh, especially with the, the proliferation of AAU and the amount of money and time that's being invested in off-season um, training and playing. Mm -hmm. You know, parents want to be able to see their investment pay off. And so there's always inevitably going to be some parental issues. Uh, is your AD there to back you? Um, I, I'm lucky that my AD, his, his philosophy is I'll listen to parents if they have complaints because I want them to be able to vent frustrations at me and not at you. 
But then I always tell them I'm not firing coaches. I'll listen to what you have to say. And if there's an issue I, that I feel needs to be addressed, I'll address it. But I'm not firing coaches, so don't ask me to fire coaches. And there are some ADs that, that won't do that. Um, you know, I, I've seen too many good coaches here in Minnesota get run out because parents don't like the way the coach coaches and the administration would rather um, pacify parents and not have things get to the school board instead of, you know, supporting a good coach that's in it for the right reasons. Um, so if you don't have your ADs backing or your principal or, or even your superintendent, especially in a small district, uh, it's going to be a tough go for you. Tough, yeah. Um, your AD has to be willing to communicate with you constantly. You know, my AD, we, we talked on the phone, we talked in person, he'll shoot me random texts about various things and vice versa. So we're able to get a hold of each other all the time. There's never any surprises. If there's an issue going on, he knows about it from me or I'll find out about it from him if someone goes to him first. Um, but it, it's even just day-to-day -day logistics. If you have open communication, it makes rolling with cha uh, sudden changes really easy because your AD is willing to communicate that to you. Or, or if we have to change practices around and I communicate that to him, it makes it easier for him to get me gym time. Um, you know, I think your AD, and we, you mentioned this before, Kevin, um, has to be an advocate for every sport in your school and promoting, you know, your athletic program to the community. And, and I think our AD does a good job of that. He is, he is there for all of our coaches and our kids. And, you know, this year he, he told us going into this COVID year and not knowing if we were going to, to be able to play a full season or not. He said, I'm right now this year, I'm not as concerned about winning and losing is I just want our kids to have good experiences. Sure. They, they need to be in a spot where they can get together as a group and not have people look at them funny for gathering as a group during COVID. And so he said, the most important thing is you give your kids a positive experience this year. And, and that's how he promoted it to parents and, and our communities. We just want our kids playing and we want them together. Um, you know, he's got to be willing to go to bat, you know, to the building administration and, and the school board if funding issues arise. We're undergoing a, a huge um, referendum project right now where we've gotten new softball fields, we're getting a brand new football stadium. And that's due in large part to his willingness to go to the community and go to the school board and advocate for an upgrade in facilities that was much more badly needed. Uh, but finally, the, the last part I think about is and with my AD, especially as he is really willing to let coaches have the freedom to run their programs day to day, you know, whether that's deciding who plays when and where, um, you know, what you're running on offense or defense, um, setting up your own game and practice schedules. Uh, he really wants his head coaches to have as much control over their program as possible. Um, I've seen other programs where, you know, an AD gets their hands into it too much and, and wants to help, you know, pick the teams or wants to tell the coach, you know, I, I know a former coach uh, here in Minnesota where uh, the AD had been a head basketball coach and he wanted to help him decide what they were going to run on offense and defense. Right. And, you know, then you get too many hands in the cookie jar there and, and the lines can get blurred between being an administrator and being a coach and, and so I'm, I'm very fortunate that my AD lets me 
run things the way they need to be run. And, and I'm really thankful that he lets me do a lot of my, my game scheduling. Uh, when I was at my previous school, uh, the AD would do a lot of the scheduling. Sometimes he'd schedule games against teams that I didn't feel would be beneficial for us to play. And, and yet I was stuck with that schedule. And, and so we don't have that Elk River. It's, it's nice to be able to decide who you want to play and, and when and where you want to play them. Uh, so I, I just appreciate his trust in me and our staff to do what's right for our program and our kids. I love that. You better have, I don't know where I've learned this though, Jeremy, but um, I learned it a long time ago. You better, you better work for an AD that really supports you. Yep. <laughs> or you're going to have a short term there. Well, I, um, I can tell you, I, I've been <laughs> on both sides of it because, you know, when I left Rogers, the big reason I left there was because the AD did not support me to a group of parents that didn't like how much playing time their kids were getting. Right. Um, and that ultimately, he, he told me I could stay there and, and continue to coach. But my decision to leave was based just on that, was that I wanted to be able to have an AD that backed me because I didn't want to be looking over at my looking over my shoulder to decide, you know, who should be playing and how much should they be playing. That's a major red flag right there. You made the right decision. Uh, And I think, I think you got to have, you got to have some guts as a coach. If it's not, if it's not, if it's not a a really uh, situation where you're getting a lot of support from the administration, I hate to say it sometimes it's time to, make that tough decision. I know it's tough because it's a job. No, we don't get buyouts, Jeremy. No. I mean, no. you know, we don't get these big buyouts. We got to move our families, all that kind of stuff. But to me, uh, just from an experienced coach that I've had so many years experience and Pete would say the same, it's time to go. Right. Yep. And, and you have to, the, one of my coaching friends that I'm on the football staff with long time ago, he told me there's a big part of you that needs to have some self-preservation, you know, because this job is too difficult at times to, you know, sacrifice yourself and your family when things ultimately aren't probably going to go the way that you need them to go. And you have to be willing to, to, like you said, Kevin, just, you know, cut your losses and be able to move on sometimes. And that's a hard, hard decision to do, but ultimately you have to do what you feel is the right thing. And, and if, if you feel you're running your program the right way and you're not getting that support, um, you can't compromise your own values for the wishes of others. You know, if you do that, then you're not being true to yourself as a coach, but also as a person. Yeah. Don't you agree? Yeah. Coaches that are out there, Hey, just don't go to the first job that maybe the first job offer, do your research, man, (laughs) because there, I made some mistakes on going to schools where I shouldn't have gone to but I just wanted a job, but I've learned the hard way. Uh, Coach, let's stop, let's stop talking about administration. Let's go to your favorite drills. Uh, I want to know what your DNA drill, what are your best drills? Well, I know, I know you like talking about drills. So I just came up with a few of them and, and you can help me pick which ones you want to talk about. Um, I tried to find a mix of some individual things and then some team things. Um, which ones are, are you interested in? Jeff? Well, I got to tell you, um, Everybody runs like the full court one-on-one because we, I really believe in ball pressure. How do you run your one minute full court zigzag? Is it, is it unique? Well, it is. It's different. We, we added that one probably mid season this year. Um, 
we used to do just the standard one-on-one full court zigzag, turn the ball as many times as you can, just as working on footwork and stance and, and turning the ball. Uh, but middle of the season, um, one of my assistants came to me and said, Hey, I got a twist on this drill that I tried in practice. I want to see if you like it. And so what we did is we set two lines of ball handlers at each end of the floor All right. and we put the defender in the middle and we said, you're still trying to, to make the ball change direction as many times as you can, but now you have to go for a full minute rather than 10 or 15 seconds of going down the court once and then being done you've got to do it three or four or five times in a minute. And what we found um, is that it, it's an excellent conditioner along with the defensive drill. You know, we're always telling kids when you get tired, you're standing up. And when you stand up, you're a little bit slower. You're not as agile and able to change direction quickly. So we ended up using that quite a bit uh, later in the season, just to illustrate to the point to the girls that when you get tired, your fundamentals still have to be there. And now you have an idea of what it means to play defense for an extended period of time. Um, so that's going to be how we'll run our, our full court footwork going forward now, uh, because it, it really accomplishes not only the, the defensive side of it, but it's also a, a conditioner and endurance activity as well. Explain that again. So I'm trying to think here. Uh, it's just, it's just two groups going one-on-one. Yeah, so if you go to the next slide, Kevin, um, okay. I should have it on there. Okay. All right. Thank, okay, thank you. Yep, so we just divide the court lengthwise um, in half so that we can do two groups at once. And, okay. you know, you, you put ball handlers at each end of the floor, and then there's one defender. Um, you know, like for, for this example, we've got the defender at the bottom end of the court, and they're going to work their way up court one-on-one. Uh, when they get the, the ball gets down to the other baseline, then the ball handler from the opposite line will come back the other way. And that defender just has to go for a minute solid before they can get out of the drill. What do you, are you looking for a certain number of turns or are they, are they trying to score or just up and back? Well, we, we can put specific rules in on it. We can say, we want you to turn the ball five times or six times. Um, we've done it in the past where we'll say it's, it's turn the ball three times and then you get to half court, it's live and, and you're trying to prevent a score. There's different um, variations you can put on it. Um, what we did uh, late in the season here is we just, how many times can you go in one minute uh, without getting beat? Right. You know, can you stay in front of the ball? Yeah, and um, are, are there are you really let's say a player is coming up quite a bit, or is there a goal for her? Hey, we don't we want you to stay down for as long as possible. If if not, is there a consequence for that, or or how are you how are you grading this? Yeah, if 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 they're getting beat, you know, if they did a, a blow by because they're standing up or they're opening their feet out, we can, you know, we'll pull them out and say, hey, do you know, you can do five push-ups or do it, you know, do an up-down, something like that. Um, a lot of times I have them bring towels with and they have to hold the towels up, you know, around their shoulders so that their hands are up. Okay. Uh, but before they start, they've not always touched the floor and say defense to get down in that good stance. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um and I, love, I tell you, a minute's a long time, particularly if you're going to get some great ball handlers. So do you try to match? I, I guess you can't match up because you're going against different people. 
which is probably no, no. I, I, and for me, I think that's one of the beauties of the drill because you don't know in a game necessarily who you're going to match up on consistently. You'll have an assignment and say, this is the player that you're, you're guarding primarily, but you get into a scramble situation or there's transition and you have to match up on the first person you find, you might end up guarding someone that might be a little bit quicker than you. And and you have to figure out a way to stay in front of them. And I think I'm a believer in every drill has offense and defense. I I just, I I just, every drill I have is offense, defense coordinated. Um, So you're working on handles too, right? You have your girls. Hey, you better know how to separate all that. What, how is your offensive emphasis on that? You know, the, when we would start without timing it, we would, we would build up, we'd start, you know, go 50%, then go 75%, then let's go game speed. So we get the, the, the technique down. Uh, but then when we would go live, we were telling the offense, your goal is to try to score. Can you get past this player? Can you, can you get your shoulders in front of them and get a clear path to the basket? Um, you know, with the zigzag part, when we're talking about turning the ball as many times, you know, let's, let's not make it easy on your teammate and just go right, left, right, left. Can you use some different moves like an in out or a crossover cross back type of combo move where you th- the, the defender thinks you're going left, but you're going to end up coming right back to your right hand because you've crossed over so many times. Now they know in their mind, you're crossing to your left hand and now you pull that in and out move on them and, and you're by it. So we, we tell them to work on a variety of, of ball handling moves. This is your ball handling drill for the day too. I love it. Coach, let's go into six minute shooting. You got me going here. We're on a roll. Uh, six minute shooting. I know you kind of go, but uh, here's, I love the drills. This is one of my favorite shooting drills that we do. Um, So the name six minutes, it lasts for six minutes. You have three people at a basket. Uh, You shoot 30 seconds a piece and then you rotate. um, And there's four spots. So the first spot is, is jump shots at the free throw line. They're not free throws and set shot, you know, like you would do at the line. It it should be a, a pass catch and shoot. Those are all worth one point. Um, then we go to the baseline short corner, probably 10 to 12 feet out. Um, those are two points. Then we go to that mid wing kind of between the elbow and the baseline, about 10 feet out. Uh, you get one point if you make it, two if you use the glass, you know, so encouraging that Tim Duncan shot mm-hmm. uh, for the bonus point there. And then that last rotation, the fourth one is anywhere around the arc shooting the threes. Um, and then we let them keep score. Sometimes we'll do it individually. So you're trying to see what your score is on your own. And then there's other times we'll keep uh, scores a team. And then when the drill is done, uh, we share scores with everybody and, and the challenge is who got the most. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Go ahead. But it, it's 30 seconds. So, I, you know, all three shooters will shoot 30 seconds at the free throw line. And then we'll move to that short corner baseline and all three will do 30 seconds there. And so you got those four 90 second rotations that gets you up to that six minutes. What's the rotation in between each, each set? Like a, you have like a five or 10 second. Uh, that it's, it's less than five seconds. You know, right. I, we've run this drill so much that they know who's up next. You know, if the passer is going to be the next shooter, they know when that, that whistle goes or the horn buzzes, they need to sprint to that spot and be ready to catch and shoot. So it's a pretty seamless transition for the most part. But if you were first teaching it, uh, you might use five, six, seven seconds in there to get them to, to rotate. 
Right. And I found in this drill in particular, I really love this drill is um, the rebounding uh, because the more if you're trying to get enough, uh, you know, the most shots or uh, the make more shots, that rebounder is really important. So I think it's a great rebounding drill too. Don't you think? Yeah. And, and we talked to them anytime they're doing rebounding for whatever shooting drill it is. We talked about, you know, can you read the angle of the shot and, and be on that weak side because 75% of shots end up rebounding lawn, studying the angle. If it's at the baseline, it's probably going to come up on, on the weak side at the baseline on the other side. If it's on the wing, it's probably going to be more of an angle. So you probably need to be on the weak side block rather than the baseline, you know, things like that just to help them read the flight of the ball. I love it. Let's get right into Butler ball screens. Uh, looks like a little two-on-two -two, uh, drill right here. We we run a little bit of ball screen, so I might steal this one from you. Yeah, we I picked this one up this year as a way for us. Uh, we've always done different continuous ball screening drills, uh, but I like this one where we start out our screen. You have offense and defense. Um, the guards or the ball handlers primarily are up at the, uh, the hash marks on either sideline. And then your screener type people are down underneath the basket. So there's always, for us, there's always a red and a white or a red and a black player next to each other. Um, and let's say that red has, has the ball and, and black is on defense. Uh, one of my coaches will be under the baseline and he'll tell the screeners um, or the screeners defender, he'll tell them what we are trying to do with the screen. Are we trapping the ball screen? Are we switching it? Are we going under it? Um, depending on what still we want to work on that particular day, we'll throw in more of one particular technique than another. Uh, we used it later in the season as a way to game plan. So if there was a team that um, got to the basket really well, we, we ended up going under screens a little bit more to protect the drive. And, and so we would use that as our emphasis for that day. What I liked about it is that we can run it five, six, seven minutes, and you did a ton of reps in. Um, so as you can see in my diagram here, uh, when the screen gets set, the ball handler and, and her defender will, will go over the screen. Um, and then that ball handler will dribble to the middle and then um, once they hit the midpoint of the floor, they'll pass it to the other wing on the opposite side so the next group can go. So it's not a live drill per se. It's more working on the technique of using the ball screen offensively, but primarily how are you handling the coverage defensively? We, screen, like to, yeah. we like to trap ball screens a lot, mm -hmm. uh, but there are times where, where either we don't like the rotations we're getting or – uh, we put ourselves in a tough position with um, how the offense is set up and, and we need to do something different and, and maybe we'll switch it or maybe we don't under it. All right. So when does, so it's not a scoring drill, it's a defensive drill. So you don't, do they try to attack the rim at all during the drill? We, we tell them, you know, try to turn the corner if you can. Um, and, and we've done this with our other drill. If they turn the corner and they get in the paint, uh, that that'll give the offense a point. You know, if, if defense can stop them, then the offense has to give up the ball again. And there's a number of variations we can put on it. Right. Um, we really look to just maximize our defensive reps. I think the next evolution sure. of it for us this year, now that we've used it and our players are familiar, will be turning it into live action more often. Right. Right. Okay. Great coach.
Celtic drill. All right, got a little full court transition drill. I love it. Yeah, this is one. Uh, I got this one a long time ago from Jim Larinata, who at the time was at George Washington and, and most recently at Miami. Um, and, and he worked on it as a way to get into his press. But it starts out, uh, you've got, we can divide our group into to four teams most years. So you'll put two colors on one end, two on the other end. Uh, it's a it's a four on four drill where, uh, you know, you, the rebounder person in the middle can start by tossing the ball up off the backboard the very first time, get their rebound, chin it and then hit the outlet who's stepping in from that dash mark area. And it goes down. It's four on. Oh, the, you know, the outlet gets the ball into the middle, hits a wing up the floor and, and it should be a high speed transition layup. And we'll do that. Early in the season, we might do that for two minutes just to work on layups. Right. Um, and then as the season goes on and, and we're, we're finishing pretty well without defense, I'll have the rebounder on the other end will just step in and, and just put her hand up. Just be a distraction. You're not trying to stop her. Just getting a hand up. And we'll do that for another 30 seconds or a minute. And then I'll uh, after about two, two and a half minutes of the, the drill, I'll just have the rebounder step in and I'll just say, okay, we're four on one now. And that rebounder is playing full defense and her job is to force the offense to make at least one extra pass right. until her teammates can get down and help her. You know, you don't want to give up a clean layup. And so we'll do that for a couple of minutes. And then the next phase is four on two where the, the outlet on the end of that is not going. So in this diagram here, it'd be that purple outlet we're going to have her step in between the, the three-point arc and the, the circle. And her job is to stop the ball and you're playing four on two. You've got the rebounder protecting the basket. Um, so it, it still is primarily an offensive drill at this point. And, and Coach Larinaga talked about that when I first learned it, is it looks like it's offense to begin with because you're really trying to score when you have numbers advantage. Um, and we'll do that four on two for, you know, early in the season, probably four minutes. Sometimes that's as far as we'll get because there's turnovers, there's sloppy ball handling early in the season. And, and we might not even get to that, that last point of four on four. Um, but my favorite part in the girls like it is the four on four where let's say the red team goes down and scores. And now the purple team has gotten the, the rebound. Okay. Um, every rebound has to be taken out of bounds. Like it's a make. Hmm. And then the, the red team who was on offense has to transition to defense and they have to match up and they can full out deny, they can trap, they can do whatever they want to in the backcourt to try and force a turnover. And then we'll also take the, the other team at the, that bottom end, that green player, the green outlet, we're going to let her step out on the floor early because that would be a four on two coming back the other way. We're going to tell her to go right up to the half court stripe. And her job is if, if the defense is full face starting and denying that inbounds pass, she's there. This is Mike May creator and owner of practice planner live software. I'm excited about partnering with Kevin Furtado and championship vision podcasts. We share a common passion of helping basketball coaches be more effective in their profession. With over 26 years of basketball coaching experience, I created Practice Planner Live with the purpose of saving coaches valuable time in creating efficient and effective practice plans. 
John Wooden once said, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. Practice Planner Live can take your practice planning to a whole nother level with tools and functionality that will maximize your team's ability to reach their potential. If, if the offense tries to lob the ball over the top. So now you're working on getting into your press really quickly, mm -hmm. uh, getting your assignments, getting matched up. Are you trapping? Are you denying? And then it also works on the offensive end. Can you get the ball in under duress in a, in a quick amount of time? So I like the fact that it's a, a press press break drill, uh, two for one kind of thing. And we'll do that. Um, once we've got the other phases in, that's probably depending on how it goes. It might be a two minute drill, it might be four minutes, you know, that four on four, it kind of depends on, on how the players are handling it. Yeah. I love this as part of the, uh, I, I love Larinaga's scramble book. That book will, that's, that's a great book right there, my friend. Oh, I, I loved his stuff. And, and we, <laughs> we ran a lot of his scramble press stuff years ago. And that's where this yeah. drill came from. Absolutely. It's a great drill. Hey, Pete, hey, Pete, this is your chaos drill right here, man. Pete loves the little four on four. Yeah, it's, uh, I just think the chaos drill is, uh, I think you can run the chaos drill, not have to run any other drills. I think it's the greatest teacher in basketball. I really do. And I would it's agree a little you. different. I don't know. It's a little different what you're doing here, but it's, um, it's four on four, but you have three teams of four and you have one team, you line them up across the half court. Right. Of course, one on one end and one on the other end and you go down four on four and if you score, they've got to take it out and bring it in. And the other team goes to a full court man to man pressure to deny run and jump. And then if they beat the press, they come down and go four on four down here. Mm -hmm. And you just repeat that process. And I promise you, most coaches don't use it because it's chaotic. And when you first start running it, I'm telling you, it is a mess, but you learn how to handle the ball under realistic pressure and you'll find out who can handle pressure in that chaos drill it's four on four on four and it, it will teach you to get the ball inbounds i run the numbered break all my life like i did the loyal marymont stuff for for forever but if you don't get the ball inbounds in a hurry you're in trouble and as soon as you get it inbounds we're going to run and jump you in that backcourt so the kids have to, they have to make such quick decisions and it's nonstop over and over, but you've got to keep score. You've got to keep score. I would give my teams, let them stay on the same teams, give them the Rams, the Lakers, the whatever, put the score up, keep it up. Who's, who's winning in the conference, you know, so to speak. But I, I, I could talk forever on this four on four on four, but I think it's the greatest teacher because you've got offense, you've got defense, you've got pressure. And you can teach the numbered break mm -hmm. out of this. You're just, you're one man short, but you can. And then if you really want to get something into an old Minnesota guy, many years ago, I saw him doing this. Um, I think it was in the seventies, early eighties that was a head coach. of Minnesota. He would swing his guards across the floor. And um, I swing the guards. So yep. you get, make the defense move every time, but, I'm telling you now, this gets more out of kids if you run it. But most coaches will quit on it because it's chaotic and nobody likes chaos, do they? 
And that's why the teams at some point in time in the, in the season, you're going to have to handle chaos. And you'll be surprised the kids that will rise to the top in this now. It's the ones that know how to make quick decisions. And the other teams, you know, it's like pressure doesn't build character. Pressure what? Exposes our character, whether it's good or bad. And this drill does that. And again, I could run it all day long, but you got to keep score. Got to keep score. I, I love that. I, I love the idea you, you mentioned about standings too. Yes. Oh, yes. So you, uh, you would keep the same the teams all year. Uh, but you've got to get them. The coach, the first couple of weeks, you know, you got to be sure that they're even, so to speak. They, they need to be close. You know, put a, a young team, don't put all the young teams together and the older teams. Um, but I'm telling you, and let the uh, younger kids, don't call fouls on them. Tell your seniors, hey, these young guys are going to foul you, but I don't care. You learn how to handle the basketball and get fouled because the referees aren't going to blow that whistle every time. But, I mean, it gets chaotic. It's elbows. And you talk about making kids compete now. I mean, they get after – or they have to quit, right? Right. And it's just uh, – there's all, all the things you can do with it. But now you do know that once you play defense and they break the press the other team, they can't go across the half-court line. They've got to let the team go to the other end and then face four-on-four four down there. Right. And you run your break. One man, swing the guards, bring your rim runner down. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling now because I get excited about this drill because I do believe, and I've done this for years and years, and I've coached basketball. Uh, I coached junior college, and we put up so many points. We, uh, I had a junior college team that won the state. We still have the record for the most points scored in a year. And, uh, and I think it's this drill right here more than anything else. I really, really do. And uh, But your drill is pretty close to that now. And Larinaga, I know who you're talking about. He is a great, great, great coach. And I read a lot of his stuff. But anyway, I'm through and don't know it. But run <laughs> chaos. <laughs> I love it. And Thank I, you. Got to have teams, though, now. Thanks, Pete. Hey, Coach, go on to the, your transition offense-defense drill here before you go. I, I think this is probably the one that we use two or three times a week for sure um, because we see so many teams that want to run the ball and, and get up the floor quick, and, and we, we don't want to give up easy points in transition. So um, what we'll do is we'll divide our team into to two or three colors. It depends on how many players we'll have on a given day. Um, but we'll put our five defenders will be at the free throw line extended on one end. Um, and then the five offense um, are spread out a little bit. So we'll have three offensive players down on the, the baseline, uh, one right under the basket and two on the wings. And then um, I changed it up a few years ago and I put outlets at the free throw line extended where the defense is lined up to try and replicate a quick outlet pass and, and a release down the floor. So what happens is, is myself or one of my assistants will be around the free throw line and we'll throw the ball to one of the uh, offensive players on the baseline. And we'll call out the name of one or two of the defenders and they have to sprint and touch that baseline while the offense and their defensive teammates are going down to the other end. So it might be a five on four situation. It might be a five on three. Um, defense is trying to get back and get matched up as quickly as possible. 
um, without giving up an easy layup. And offense is trying to score while they have the advantage. So going back to what, what you and Pete both said, having an offensive and defensive drill at the same time. Um, so we're trying to score quickly, but defensively, we're trying to not allow that, that easy layup. Um, when I was up north, I picked up a, a thing from the coach I worked with there um, that really helped make this more effective. And that was by designating two players in transition to have specific responsibilities. So we call the first one the fullback, and that person is our rim protector. So when we start this drill, I'll say, who's not fullback, who has halfback? And so they'll change it up. The girls will do it on their own so that each person gets, you know, used to doing different roles on, on the transition. So that fullback has to, their job is to front any rim run cutters and, and not give up an easy basket. Uh, and then we have a halfback and that person's job is to pick the ball up, you know, around half court and make the point guard pick up the ball, not let the ball get in too deep. Uh, the other three players, their job is to get back and get matched up on the most dangerous people as possible. And this is where, you know, you might be assigned to guard a specific player, but now we're in transition and we're scrambling and, and you might end up matched up on somebody that's wide open. That's not your player, but you have to take her so that the offense doesn't get an easy shot. Um, we use that halfback fullback designation constantly, not only with this drill, but, uh, when we're doing our five on five stuff, you know, uh, I, in offense, I'll, I'll say, let's make sure that we always have a person with defensive responsibility. We're going to crash four people to the boards, but our halfback has to be able to stay up and, and be ready for a transition opportunity the other way, uh, during pregame. Um, when I go through our, our matchups and our defensive sets for the game, I will always remind them of who halfback is and who the fullback is uh, just so that we are not getting beat in transition and giving up those easy baskets that could be prevented just by having people aware of, of where they should be in those spots. Yeah, and I noticed you have your offense. Uh, sometimes I put my five offensive players on the baseline. I like how you have your I'm assuming your other players out here on the uh, sideline. Why is that? So, yeah, I used to run it with, with all the offensive players on the, the baseline, but we were preparing one game back in that 2017 season for a team that was notorious for getting an outlet and throwing that long lead pass right off the floor. And so we wanted to, to put an offensive player on each sideline so that, we could tell them, you go, your first job when I throw the ball is you're going up the floor. And that would force whoever our fullback is or someone else on the team, if the fullback was caught rebounding, to have to sprint and get back and, and not allow a fly pass to, to go unchecked. Uh, so that's really the reason we would do it. And, and now as the drill has evolved over the years, there will be times I won't even throw the ball to the baseline. I'll throw it to one of the kids on the sideline and they're already got a head start. And so now that forces the defense to really have to sprint back and, and protect the basket. Yeah. And that's to me, the hardest thing to teach is not offensive transition is defensive transition. I mean, literally you got to really sprint hard. Yeah. Um, and I love that coach, a great drill. Um, all right. We got all your best drills, man. So I'm going to really steal from you. So I, I really appreciate 
uh, Jeremy, you, I mean, uh, your topic was excellent, but adding on the drills, man, that's first class. I really appreciate that. Well, I, you know, I think one of the, the biggest things that I learned from my mentor coach was that, you know, as coaches, we're a, we're a club of thieves. You know, we, right. we steal from others what we see, what oh, works, and we adapt yeah. it to to our to what we have with our kids and our coaching style. And and so people have shared a ton of stuff with me over the years. And and I feel that, you know, it's my job to be able to give back to. Yeah, I, and I know all the coaches on the chat are going to be stealing this podcast, man. So uh, you got some great stuff. And also, I'm going to be sharing the Zoom cast as well to a lot of coaches. Uh, this is some great stuff. Every coach at every level, experience level, can definitely use all the great advice you have for us. Um, Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time. I know it was a long, a long podcast, but we really appreciate you uh, taking the time out to join us. Well, it, it's my pleasure, Kevin. I'm just, I'm, I'm honored and humbled that you would invite me on. Um, you know, I, I got to give a lot of credit to, to Mike Hedrick and, and Larry Starr. Chris Dodson, you know, those were the guys that brought me into the group chat. You sure. know, I, I was just a, a random coach from Minnesota that, that was asking these guys some questions about stuff I had seen them do on, on Zooms and podcasts and, and they've welcomed me in and made me feel like a, a big part of the group. And so I, I give those guys a lot of credit for, for getting me hooked up with you too, Kevin. And it's just a, it's just honored for me to be part of so many coaches that you've interviewed over the, the 240 episodes um, that you'd have me on here. I, I just really appreciate the opportunity. Hey, I know coaches are going to want to talk to you, Jeremy. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, I'll have all your, your email, all your contact information. Uh, I know your uh, school has a Twitter account. Do you have your own social media account or anything? I do not. No, I, um, we have our team social media, but, um, I'm a little bit old school in that way. And I, I intentionally stayed out of social media, just, you know, that causes a lot of issues. Sure. Um, you know, I've seen coaches get in trouble with it and, you know, sometimes there's stuff on there. Maybe you don't want to hear about. Um, right. so my assistant runs our, our team Twitter and, and my, Booster Club Parent runs our team Facebook account. I would say the easiest way to get a hold of me is my email, which is jeremy.digivani at isd728.org. And I'll have that available to all the coaches. And I will put this podcast on Twitter, though. So that, that works. <laughs> so I'll be sharing. I love sharing this with so many coaches and so forth. I, I do think I, I'm going to try to have one more Minnesota coach on the series here. So get all the brilliance from all you Minnesota guys. But uh, thank you for sharing all this great information. I appreciate your time, Coach. Well, well, Kevin, thank you. And, and Pete, you as well. I've, I've listened to you guys and, and what you do for girls basketball and, and high school basketball in general. Uh, it's just a huge resource for for older coaches experienced like me and, and younger coaches first starting out. Like I said, we can, we can only learn from each other. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes our profession. One of the best around is that, you know, I, I think we have a great fraternity of coaches across the country and, and the more we can learn from each other, the more positive experiences we're going to give our players. And that's just going to help our, our game grow overall. Absolutely. Uh, Coach P any final words for Jeremy? 
Yeah, uh, the chaos drill has got me really excited just talking about it, but I left out a couple of things. Take your assistant coaches and let each one of them have a team. Yes. Coach yeah, we do that a lot. And let them, yeah, let them have at least one 10-second timeout. And I'm telling you, it's a scramble like you've never seen. You're going to throw some of the coaches off the – they'll get kicked out of the game sometimes. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, assign coaches to those teams, and you don't have to coach one of them. You just sit back and watch the competition. And it is amazing how they get better on with pressure defense and breaking the press. So, anyway. I, I, I love it. Say, Thank you, I Coach. I really enjoyed listening to you tonight. It's obvious why you've been so successful. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate the kind words very much. All right. Coach, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time out. And uh, I'll be, hey, listen, hey, I'll, I'll be getting more information from you on the chat, man. You guys always put in some good stuff down. I just, I don't put a lot in there. I just kind of read everything. <laughs> Coach, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have a ton there. Some of those guys say enough for all of us combined. So I, I don't have a lot to add, but it, it's sure fun reading some of the comments. I really enjoy it. Hey, Jeremy, before you go, uh, I'm actually running my um, legends clinic out here at my school and I got really the best coaches in Georgia. It's going to, I'm going to film it and everything. I got Gene and his son. I got uh, all the top coaches, Charmin white. I don't know if you ever heard of Charmin white out here in Georgia, all the top coaches. So um, we'll all be kind of promoting that later on, but I'm going to be filming that. So you get a chance to watch it at a later date. September. So I got Pete Aycock. He'll be speaking at it. Awesome. Well, I, I hope at some point I can make my way down to Georgia and see all you guys. That'd be a lot of fun. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell Gene that uh, him and his wife can kind of host you guys. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. I, I'd love to take a road trip with my, my coaches. And then I could take Mike Hedrick. He can take me to a Braves team too, and show me how he thinks baseball really should be played down in the South. Hey, think about this. September 12th, it's a Sunday. Think about coming out. Um, I'll tell you more about it later. Watch the clinic and spend some time with a lot of Georgia coaches. Sounds good. I'll, I'll have to check my football schedule and see if that'll work because right. that'll be football season. But, yeah, well, we didn't take a look at that. Yeah, All right. that's right. All right, Coach, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Have a great night. Hello, my name is Coach Charlie Miller. Headmaster Trainer with the TAC Basketball Academy in Dallas, Texas. I'm here to promote the upcoming Championship Vision Podcast Clinic Series brought to us by Coach Kevin Furtado from Lake Oconee Academy in Greensboro, Georgia. Coach Furtado is a well-respected, sought-after coach and found other coaches like him to share their best practices and secrets to success with players, parents, and teams. The clinic will provide two types of virtual clinics, Lecture style via Zoomcast and on-court instructions with coaches and players. Again, my name is Coach Charlie Miller from Attack Basketball Academy, where we work with kids from third grade through high school in a positive and growth-oriented atmosphere that promotes a whole-body approach to well-being. Our programs are designed not only to improve your child's ability on the court, but also to teach him or her valuable skills that will serve them throughout their lives.